everyone this is josh from solopreneur grind it is episode 59 of the solopreneur grind podcast i'm here with teresa from teresasafali.com teresa thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today oh it's my pleasure josh thanks for having me Awesome. So excited to dig into your background. Uh, I'm really excited about actually, Teresa, your, you know, one of your main specialties, working efficiently, productivity, all that type of stuff. Uh, it's always top of mind for me, for anyone who's listened to my content or checked out the blog. But I don't want to steal too much of your thunder. Can you tell us a little bit more about you, what you're working on right now? And then what we can do is kind of dig into your background and how you got started. Sure. Um, Right now, I am, well, as you know, I'm a productivity strategist and business coach, and I love doing that. Um, it was really important for me to help more people remove some of the learning curve that goes along with being a solopreneur. It wasn't always, uh, <laughs> it wasn't always a good thing for me. Mm -hmm. My, I did not have um, a great work ethic well, not ethic, but habit. I didn't have a lot of good work habits. Um, and I certainly was not what you would call productive. I was more like the frantic squirrel um, trying to dart across a really busy highway 24 seven. And so that led me to coaching. And now I'm getting ready to launch the Daily Achievers Academy, which is my membership. Very cool. Very cool. So there's a lot that I want to dig into there, Teresa, but before we get to more of the current stuff and, and that productivity stuff, can you take us back to the beginning of your career uh, and or kind of when you finished school, you know, when you started your career, how did you start out? How did you, how did your entrepreneurial journey begin? Oh, sure. I love telling this story. It's a fun <laughs> story. It's always good to look back to see how far you've come. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started my very first business when I was still in high school. Um, I oh, actually wow. have a 25 plus year experience as a, I was a professional musician. I did weddings. I sang backup and occasionally did some like local club work. So friends could come and see us. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed doing that. I did that, um, end of high school and all throughout college and at the same time, I was studying to become a teacher. So education is really super important to me. It's just a part of who I am. I like teaching and helping people learn new things. So I became a teacher and I was still doing gigs and teaching and enjoying myself. I got married and bought a home and I had my first child in 1997. And I was really excited to be a stay-at-home mom. And what happened was I found myself slowly going a little bit insane. So any of those stay-at-home parents out there probably can relate to that. What I really wanted to do was have something of my own. So I decided that I'd start a hobby. And so what made sense for me at that time was I was creative, obviously from the music, and I was also really crafty. And I started just taking some different types of craft classes at a local craft store here where I live. And I was enjoying that. And then I started teaching craft classes there. And before I knew it, I was 
a full-on professional craft designer. I, mm -hmm. I, I didn't even know that existed. Did you know that was that was an actual job you could have? I, I don't think so. I don't think I've heard that occupation before either or seen uh, so, it on a resume. Right. So so basically what I did in in that position was a number of things. So I didn't work with consumers. I worked directly with manufacturers like Velcro or Elmer's. And I could be doing a variety of things like going to trade shows and teaching to store owners there. I could also be doing product testing, um, pro lots of project designs. And when I started way, way, way back in 1997, 98, around that area, I, there was no World Wide Web. It just didn't, it didn't exist. So throughout, and I did that for over 20 years. And throughout that career, I had to pivot a lot. So the first pivot was all of those um, pay for print opportunities started to dry up. And so I started dabbling into a little bit of marketing. Um, social media was starting to emerge. I did that. I helped, I helped manufacturers start design teams. And then I did that for a long time, just kept pivoting until mostly I was, you know, helping other designers. I wasn't, ha I didn't have a coaching business per se at that time, but I'd work with my colleagues to help them start and, to grow and, their And was this business. all just like you were working as a contractor, Teresa? Or, or I was, did... Yes, I was working as a contractor. Oh, wow. So I worked for myself um, doing all this and just looking to see, you know, what was the next thing? Because the internet changed how I did business for many niches, but for my niche in particular, I think what I was really finding is that manufacturers were bypassing designers altogether and going straight to consumers and they could get free projects or pay with product, things that I wasn't really willing to do because I was a professional. So I started moving more into tech marketing and social media. And I did that for a while and I didn't really necessarily enjoy it as much. I was missing the creative project design stuff. And then in 2011, a couple of my colleagues, other designers reached out and they said, we wanna start a free digital craft magazine. And while I can't say 100%, I'm pretty sure if we weren't the first, we were one of the very first online digital craft magazines. Right. And um, and it was during that time where I was still running my business and then I took on a second business that I was going absolutely nuts, as you can imagine. <laughs> At that time, I was working 16 to 18 hours a day. I wasn't sleeping. I had really bad insomnia. I used to joke that I couldn't turn off my creative brain. Um, so, you know, it's like, where's the off switch? And couldn't find it. And all my designer colleagues and I would joke about that. But I was also damaging my health. I wasn't stopping to eat. I lived on coffee. Sometimes, some days I didn't shower. <laughs> it was mm -hmm. gross. And my relationships were also suffering because of the, the crazy workaholic I'd become. I mean, I couldn't enjoy anything, even holidays. Uh, I would walk into, you know, maybe it was a, you know, a 4th of July picnic and I'd walk in and I'd be looking at my watch going, well, how long do I have to talk to people before I can go grab my computer and tuck into a corner? And um, it just was a really dark, dark time. Got it. 
And can you speak, Teresa, a little bit to how you were able to work for that long successfully as a contractor, right? Because I, I do want to get a lot into what you're doing right now. Right. But it sounds like you were able to do pretty well for yourself over a long stretch um, in a way that a lot of people might struggle to, right? Especially when starting out on your own. It's, it's very difficult. So would love right. to hear more about kind of how you even, we'll call it, broke into that. How did you get your first few clients or contracts uh, and, and how did you approach that part of your journey? Okay, so this is really great. You know, the internet has helped the hiding um, that comes along with solopreneurship, especially when you're working alone at home, right? It's mm -hmm. really easy to hide behind your computer. Um, some of the things that I did to break out was through the relationships that I, that I made. So when I started just figuring out in the very early stages when my, when my older daughter was just a baby and I, I was trying to figure out, you know, what do I want to do? I'll go get that hobby. The first really essential relationship I made was with the store owner where I was getting my supplies. And it was through that relationship that brought me back to teaching. I wasn't teaching elementary school anymore, but I was teaching adults and mm -hmm. meeting more people um, through the relationship with that store owner. Um, she brought me a lot of other opportunities, like opportunities for paper print. She would get things back in those days. Again, no computer. So store owned, um, people who were maybe writing a book on invitations, for example, handmade invitations, they just, they'd send letters or eat or what well, was before email. So they would send like letters or call store mm -hmm. owners. So she would pass along opportunities to me because I was valuable to her business and we built a really great friendship. And she's the one that introduced me to the whole craft and hobby world. Going to trade shows and becoming active in organizations was helpful to break in, uh, mm -hmm. making relationships with other designers not, I'm not talking necessarily about, you know, becoming people's really best friends, although I've made some really amazing friendships in that space, but it's about the relationships that I built. And I don't think I was conscious at the time of the importance of those relationships. And I don't think I even recognized that that's what I was doing, really networking. Mm -hmm. So... Which is, which is so key to the, to the beginning of, of any business, right? 100%. Awesome. So, okay. So, so you're going along this pretty cool journey. It sounds like, you know, uh, because it can be, I mean, one of the tough parts, one of the other tough parts of solopreneurship can be doing the same thing over and over again. It almost sounds like you making all these pivots and adaptations to let's call it your, your niche or your primary focus. Was that almost refreshing when you were able to kind of do that over the years? Absolutely. Paying attention, not trying to make everything work. So for example, there are lots of different types of crafting underneath that craft and hobby umbrella from scrapbooking to rubber stamping, to jewelry design, to mixed media art. And in the beginning, I thought I had to do everything. And so I tried lots of different things and I would take jobs. But after a while, I realized I really hate making jewelry. Why am I trying to force myself to do that? So it was more of becoming aware 
of the things that I enjoyed doing that I felt that I made a better and bigger contribution to. Therefore, I was becoming known for certain types of crafts Mm -hmm. and becoming an expert in authority. I did the same thing as I was pivoting in my business and just seeing what was happening and also through the relationships, hearing what was happening with other designers and listening to manufacturers when I would have conversations with them. You know, I'd go to trade shows. Sometimes I'd just go back and stop by booths and visit manufacturers I had established relationships with. Sometimes my colleagues were making those introductions and it was really a lot of listening. What's working for them? What are they looking for? How can I solve a problem that they're having? And the variety is great, but you have to be really careful too. Um, I think as a solopreneur, we think we have to do every single thing in our business ourselves. So not in addition to the, ser- the services I was off- offering, you know this as well. You have admin and other tasks that you need to do. If, once I had, I, I also had a website and a blog. So maintaining all of that and growing my own social media channels and things of that nature, it's almost its own full-time job. Right. And it's easy to chase the shiny objects when you're looking for the answers. Like, how do I grow? How do I make more money? How do I earn more authority or influence? And then you just start taking on more, but you don't go and you don't edit what you're already doing, figuring out what no longer serves you or what you really don't like to do and understand that you don't have to do everything. Got it. Yeah, that's, that's a great answer. So let's jump back or forward, I guess, Teresa, to you take on this new uh, business and you're working like crazy. What, how did you handle that or what was the tipping point? Oh, it was, it was a really personal pivotal moment for me. So as I said, it's only by such good fortune that my family is amazing. My, my husband in particular, very understanding, very patient man, but I was burning my candle at both ends and in the middle. And so it was literally one, one long weekend um, that my husband and my children wanted to go visit friends um, out of state. And I was like, I can't go anywhere. You know, that just can't happen. Um, just so, so I had the brilliant um, epiphany that I could just send them away without me for four days and that I was going to get so much done. I'd made mm-hmm. my laundry list about 10 stories long of, you know, here's the, here are my to do's, all the things that I'm going to catch up on that I couldn't catch up that I couldn't get done. And over the finish line, nobody would be here to bother me. I wouldn't have to cook. I wouldn't have to talk to anybody. I could just buckle in for four days finally feel caught up and I was excited to see them go. Mm-hmm. And um, I put them in the car that, that it was a Thursday. I put them in the car that Thursday, stand in the driveway, waved goodbye, came back inside, walked into my living room. And I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I just stood in the living room and in the quiet of the house and I just broke down. I mean, I was exhausted, but I just remember thinking, this isn't what I wanted this, this life to look like. This isn't how I wanted to be. And this certainly 
wasn't the lessons that I wanted to be teaching my daughters. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I have two girls, wanted them to feel and understand they could be strong, independent women. And what I realized in that moment is that I was teaching my kids that my business was more important than they were. Right. And so it wasn't like the next day I was different. So that weekend I got pretty much nothing done, but I did, it was a lot of introspection. It was the time that I needed to stop and look in the one place that I was really going to find answers for myself. And that was the hardest place to look at myself Mm -hmm. and understand that I really needed to make some changes. My first order of business was saying to myself, okay, I just need to figure out how to fit this 10 hours of work into two hours. And if I can do that, then I'll be good. And um, so the process after that, well, I discovered that wasn't possible. Mm -hmm. And it was the journey of, you know, one step forward, 10 steps back, two steps forward, five steps back until I was able to get in pace with myself and I had to really make some serious mindset shifts and change the way I was behaving. And I also had to do some apologizing to the people that I was close to and understand that I shouldn't be hiding behind my business. I should be flourishing in my business and that the people around me are just as important in that process. So Right. And so how does that relate to what you're doing now? Like, was this, was this a long journey of slowly getting more productive? Or were you, like, like I guess what I'm trying to ask is how quickly or what did the process look like from continuing to build on the businesses you have or was it a pretty quick change to, uh, okay, I need, you know, I'm getting really productive. I'm going to start a business, uh, you know, coaching and, and stuff like that around productivity. Oh, it was a process. It, it took me, it took me a few years to, to get my bearings and also about making some really critical decisions. Mm-hmm. The first thing I had to do was understand that I wasn't clear on what I wanted for myself. So it started with really thinking. It was a lot of thinking, a lot of introspection, deciding that there was something different that I wanted to do and admitting that to myself. You know, I felt I had business partners when I was doing um, the craft magazine that really quickly, that in and of itself was enormous because it went from a magazine that we were gonna grow slowly our plan went awry because it took off and within two years, it, it had become a publishing company. Oh, wow. So, um, and you know, there are things that I had to deal with too, like perfectionism. So, you know, that where I just kept taking on more and more and more instead of asking my business partners, Hey, can you guys help me out with this? You know, nobody's going to do it the way I want. I might as well just do it myself. Mm-hmm. And those were the kinds of things that got me into trouble and also not being willing to let go of anything that I was already doing, like my own business. So I was still drumming up and doing some project work here and there, but it, it was out of control. So, so the step, the first journey was how do I be more productive and, you know, plan my day better and this, that, and the next thing. And what I, the first thing I realized is, right, I can't. So then something had to go. So I started looking and seeing what can I cull from this list 
that is my everyday to-do list that's crazy. And then, you know, I would make this, these small steps forward, but then I also realized that I really wasn't happy doing the publishing company anymore. And I needed to have serious conversations with my business partners, and I remember doing that. But even before then, I was still adding more things onto my plate. So I would fix one thing, but then I would add something else that would eat up the time that I was saving. And one of those things was, okay, the magazine, the, the publishing company is not fulfilling for me, and I understand that. Um, you know, do I still even want to continue with it? Do I still want to continue with my design business? At that point, the design business was easy to let go because I was doing so little with it. And then it, I was saying, okay, well, I let that go. What component is missing for me still? And it was the teaching. I really wasn't doing any more teaching. And I missed the education piece of my life. So I said, I'm going to start to coach and I'll start to coach other colleagues, right? So craft designers, um, people who were licensing, anybody in like that creative industry, that would be a, like a, a lateral move that made sense because I was still trying to force this square box to fit into a round hole. Mm -hmm. And, and it was, it, it just, it really wasn't working because I was still holding on to the publishing company because I felt responsible to my partners and I was avoiding the conversation. I did that for a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then the beginning of, um, by that point, you know, I, I'd started this coaching business in 2016. I was growing it. I was finding that the craft designers, they're not my niche. They really aren't. They, you know, I just found that, I'm looking to work with people who want to do things differently and are ready to make a change and be more productive, more effective and more efficient. And these weren't those people, at least not the community. I'm not saying that, you know, craft designers or creatives aren't that way. I'm just saying that the community I'd built around myself was looking for free and was looking for, you know, they weren't looking for coaches. They just wanted mm -hmm. somebody to tell them, just do, here's the magic pill that's going to, you know, fix all your woes. And that just wasn't me. So um, I tried a couple of other niches while I was doing this. Early in 2017, I finally said, I have to tell my partners how I feel. And, um, and I did that. And that was really when I started getting serious about coaching and finding the right niche for myself. Got it. But let, let's, so, I, I want to cut you off there. I do want to hear what comes next, but really quickly before we go to that next step, uh, Teresa is, it sounds like you did a really good job with all of that introspection and, and getting, you know, in tune with yourself and, and all of that stuff. What would you, re like, were there any resources you were relying on to help you do that or, uh, and or what would you recommend to people who might be in that spot, right? They realize something is wrong, right? Maybe they hit a wall or, or they have that, that breakdown that, that you discussed. What would you recommend people do and or what were you relying on that, that helped you get through it? Okay, that's a really great question. I asked for help and I got help. Um, you know, I'm, I'm stubborn, I'm independent. 
And I was, I spent a long time trying to figure things out on my own and I was only able to get so far. And it's not that there's a lack of information out there. I think the issue really is, is too much. Mm-hmm. Who do you listen to? What experts? You know, who has an answer that really works for me? Because we're all as individual as our thumbprints. A solution that works for me may not work for you. So it's a matter of understanding yourself and being honest about what your limitations are, what you're willing to change, what your non-negotiables are, right? What you're not willing to do. And then finding the right people, whether it's a mastermind. I joined a mastermind program, one-to-one coaching just wasn't in my budget at that time. So I joined a group and the dynamic of having other business owners who were in the same place that I was, was really helpful. Um, I also, in that program, I found, we created a smaller pod. So we had our own little accountability group. Having people, um, I, I I think entrepreneurs and solopreneurs tend to congregate, right? We all find each other somehow, make mm-hmm. those re- make those relationships and work with those people. And kind of like we had would have an agenda. We started meeting once a week and then less often, but having the accountability, somebody to bounce off ideas off of who really understood the struggles of owning your own business. That was really key for me. Um, and it was during that time that I was able to dis- to really think about what my goals were. And once I understood what I wanted to build, what I wanted my life to look like, making decisions on how I was going to go about that made it was easier. It, mm-hmm. Everything was easy. The shiny objects still showed up, but I could look at those opportunities that were thrown in front of me and I could say, okay, is this going to get me where I want to go ultimately? And then say yes or no. And, and set appropriate boundaries instead of trying to do all the things all the time, do less instead of doing more. Like what am I doing that I don't have to do anymore? And looking at that and then having the people to talk to you to say, Hey, I'm really excited about this. And you know, I would get the questions of, well, is, is that a shiny object or are you trying to avoid doing something else or what would be the benefit of doing that? Um, or what would then be the cons of doing it? And so having people, whether it's your friends um, that understand what kind of business you have and what type of person you are, um, I, I think that's the key is not being afraid to ask for help. You're not weak when you ask for help. Got it. Those, those are some really good suggestions and, uh, and action items too, for the people in that spot. So, so let's jump back you or again, forward. Uh, I guess all of this is back because it's in the, it's in the past tense, but anyways, you narrow or, or you, you get to the realization that the, 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 the designers are not the ideal target market. How did you find your target market? And then how did you get your first few clients? So I start, I started with craft designers and then when I really, I wasn't closing business and I was a little uncomfortable. I found the sales intimidating. I'm not going to lie. I did ask for help so that 
I would get more comfortable talking with people like that. And what I realized is it's not about being salesy. It's just about making relationships. So here are um, a couple of things that I did. Um, first, I looked at possible niches. I'm like, okay, well, I'm a mom. I've had a business at every stage of my, um, of my entrepreneurial journey at different stages of development. And I said, okay, I'm going to, I think maybe it's mompreneurs. And I stuck with that niche for a little while and I paid attention. And I think that's the, the big thing. So I started joining some mompreneur groups and just trying to do my best to offer value and speak with people and help. I wasn't, not with my hand out looking for something, but with my hand out looking at for somebody else to grab it so that I could help pull them up. And coming from a place of service is an amazing place to come from. It feels good and you reap the rewards. The things that I did, I think were, they were, it was a marathon, not a sprint. So I was mm -hmm. investing in something over the long term. Um, so first I thought it was mompreneurs. That year I joined a local networking organization, forcing myself to come out of the house so that I could talk to people. Um, I used local meetups to see you know, what other activities and events were happening in my area. And then I'd go and I'd meet and I'd talk to people and I, I wouldn't, you know, I'm very much an introvert. So, you know, those things are exhausting. <laughs> and so, and you can really, um, they could be a waste of time unless you go with a goal. So for me, I started out with, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to one person that I don't know. And, and then over time, as I got better at that, you know, it, I would talk to more people um, and really just be interested in them and their stories. That was how I met my first few clients. And even though I was talking about productivity, I was talking about it for um, mom bosses. And what I found is I was attracting moms, but they weren't, um, they weren't young mothers. They were moms more my age. Their kids were older in, in high school and college or already grown and out of the house. And they were similarly in the same place as me. They were kind of flitting from um, an earlier version of me, right? That flitting from activity to activity, they worked on whatever was in front of them. There was no understanding of how what they were doing today was fitting into a bigger picture later, how it was moving them towards a goal. And then I was also seeing that I was getting a lot of men as I was just talking to people interested in working with me. So I'm like, okay, I'm thinking mompreneurs, not the niche. And looked for that common thread through all of them. They're all service-based and they're, you know, they're more midlife people. They're not young entrepreneurs. They're not trying to start a business, but they've had a business and they're looking to get it to the next level and they're stuck. And they're just, they haven't slowed down enough to decide really where they want to go. So I right. just pay attention, but the, but the big thing for me is the networking. Most of my business now has been through networking and referrals. So I get a good amount of referral business too from people that I've worked with or people that I've um, partnered with on projects. So that's also a good way to do it. You know, go out, meet some people that aren't your competitors, but you know, they would be really good strategic partners. You share an avatar, like you, you share the same type of client and you know, do a workshop or something along those lines. That, that's also really helpful. Got it. 
Yeah, no, that's, that's some really good advice. I, I think uh, to kind of quickly summarize is the look for a niche, but, but don't be too set on one right away until it, until it proves itself. And the networking is huge. I mean, in anything business related I've done, there's never been, there's never been a time I've regretted networking other than once in a while, like you said, once in a while, there are some events that are not the best in the world. Uh, but you never know, even if you meet one person who's a good fit and, and turns into a good co- you know, a friend or a colleague or acquaintance, you never know what can come from that down the road. So, Teresa, I want to spend the last, uh, the last part of the podcast talking about productivity. Um, I can totally relate to a lot of the comments you've made on when, especially as a solopreneur, there's, I mean, there's a million things you can do any day of the week, right? Right. Um, so making sure not only you're doing the right stuff, but you're actually being, you know, trying to optimize to be as productive as possible. I, I don't even really know what to ask to start this this topic, to be honest, because it's, it's very broad, right? So I'm curious to yes. know, like, when you introduce what your specialty is or when you breach the topic of productivity, how, how do you go about doing that? Well, I tend to stick to um, just certain categories when it comes to productivity. I also, if, if I can take it a step back, Josh, and say mm-hmm. a lot of people don't understand what productivity really is. Productivity is not about being efficient. Anybody can be efficient. And having systems and, and processes in place in your business will 100% save you time. But if you're saving time on things that aren't effective for you and where you want to go, then it's a waste of time. So let me just give a quick example of, of something that you can be really efficient at, but it'd be a waste of your time and doesn't do anything for your business. So for example... I had um, a colleague who, when Twitter was new, um, one of the ways that they grew their, their Twitter following was to go on every day and make sure they were thanking anybody that replied to or retweeted them. And in the beginning, that's easy when you have like a few hundred people. But over the course of their career, they grew an enormous Twitter following. But they were still like doing the same process right? to the point where they were waking up in the middle of the night and sneaking into the bathroom to reply to Twitter. Right. Mm -hmm. And we'd all made the suggestion. You have to let it go. You have to let it go. And they so struggled. Um, But eventually they came to the realization that, okay, I have an efficient process around this, right? She had got it down to two hours a day. But the truth of the matter is, is nobody cared and it didn't do anything to help her grow. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. letting it go, if she did that every day, seven days a week, there's 14 hours right there (laughs) Right. that she got back by letting that go, that she could invest in something else, like maybe going to the movies and having a date night (laughs) or just, you know, working on a real project, um, well, yeah, is one solution you suggest just outsourcing that, Teresa? Because, oh, I mean, listen, sure. may, maybe it was actually a bit of a cause of, of success in the business. In but, the beginning, in the beginning. Right. So it's really important just to pay attention. And I say the most important thing you need to do in your business is edit. So productivity right. is about 
being efficient and effective. You want to be efficient with your time, right? So I talk a lot about time management. That's usually a front door need. That's the need that people are aware they need more time. They may mm-hmm. be aware that they also need to be more organized. So time, time management, being organized. I also talk a lot about goal setting and planning and mindset. Having the right mindset is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so when it comes to being productive, you have to know where you want to be. And it starts at a much higher level. And it's tough for all of us because oftentimes we're working like the intern in our business. And if we're service-based, we're working like the employee. Mm-hmm. And then we're not making time to actually grow our business to figure out how we're going to bring in other streams of revenue. So for coaches like me, I can only work with so many people before I tap out on time. So I right. have so I have a plan. I, I know where I want to be in, in about five years' time. I don't look further out than that. And I don't, ma- I don't plan out my five years. I, I break things down so they're smaller. When you stay too high level in the way of actually getting something done and being productive around it, doing that and trying to plan, you know, every year for the whole year, just for five years in a row, doesn't work. It's also a waste of time because mm-hmm. things are going to change, things that you didn't expect. And um, so I focus one quarter at a time. I know where I want to be. I know what my metrics are, what my goals are for five years, what I want life to look like, and not just business, but you know, what I want my family to look like and what I want for, what I want for myself personally. You know, where do I want a right. vacation? That kind of thing. And then I focus on the first year. You know, what, are, what are my goals? What are my revenue goals for this year? What are my visibility goals for this year? What am I going to plan to do as far as list building? Or um, am I going to start a podcast this year? Just those kinds of things. Loosely sketching that out and then saying, okay, what has to happen this quarter? And that's all I focus on is this quarter. And I have specific projects. And if it's nine things over the course of three months that has to get done, Um, in a variety of difficulties. Not everything is hard to do or require multiple steps. It's easy to say, okay, this is what I need to get done today. And I look and I concentrate on my big three. Um, What are the the three things that I have to do today? And if I don't get them done today, it's going to affect what I'm going to be able to get done tomorrow. It's going to affect those milestones and benchmarks that I set for myself. And I understand what I'm doing today and how it fits into the bigger picture. I know why I'm doing it and it makes sense. Um, the things that I don't like to do that are not in my specialty area. And oftentimes, um, I don't know if you find this, find this for yourself, Josh, is that I'm, I'm competent at lots of different things, but like I can build my own web page, but is it the best use of my time? Mm-hmm. And so that's an outsource. So right. outsourcing is really important um, per project. Um, I also have um, I have a team that I outsource to. So there are lots of um, there's lots of companies out there that you can you know, basically hire their team. Um, My team, I have a team of about five people that um, I 
use a few hours a month. So it's not like a huge investment of money. I don't have to worry about taxes and things like that. I'm just outsourcing um, a, a service. They're providing a service to me. It's a repeatable process every month. And it saves me probably about 25 hours or more if I were trying to do it myself. Right. And then I can focus on other stuff. Right. I mean, coincidentally, that's how this podcast came to be was I believe one of the, your team members reached out to me to, uh, to set it up and to plan it. So uh, right. you practice what you preach. Uh, really cool. Teresa, can you talk about what are the two or three key mistakes? I don't want to say key. What are the, what are the two or three most popular mistakes or productivity uh, issues that you run into with most of your clients? And then if you could talk a little bit about what you recommend to get over those. Sure. Um, so one thing that people tend to do when they're feeling really stuck and trapped is they go online and they start looking for answers themselves, um, but they don't know exactly what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. um, so it wastes more time right? Because you can lose right. hours and hours on the internet searching and then you don't know, is this good information? Is it not good information? Um, when my clients come to me, oftentimes they've lost hours on the Google machine trying to solve something for themselves. And it's the same problem over and over again. So one of the, one of the things that you can do is you can work with somebody. You, know, you can hire a coach. You can also put together a group with colleagues like we talked about before, it's always helpful when you have people that understand what your challenges are. Maybe they've struggled with something that you've struggled with already, right? You can talk about that and brainstorm a, a solution um, within the group. So that's a good thing to do. Um, another, another problem is that, that I see consistently is that people just take on too much. They try mm -hmm. to do too many things. They want to do all these you know, 10 ideas right now. Great. And then they're afraid if they don't do them now, you know, they have FOMO. They just, they think that they'll forget about it. Somebody else will come in and grab that idea. In order to get something over the finish line, you, you can't multitask or try to do 10 things at once. Pick one or two things, do them well. And then what I do is when I have a really great idea that maybe I don't have the bandwidth for, or maybe it's not the right time in my business, the season of the business that I'm in. So for example, if you are not list building, then it might not be a great idea to affiliate for an influencer. If you don't have a list, it doesn't make sense to do that. So, mm -hmm. but that might be something, a great idea for later. I use a project management tool called Aura. Um, it's similar to Asana or Trello. It doesn't matter whether you use a spreadsheet or you write it down in a special notebook or however you want to do it. I have a list. It's my stash list, stash that is. Mm -hmm. And those, that's where I have like all my wish lists. I make a board in there and I just, when I have an idea that I want to try later, I put it in there and so that I have it. And when I've gotten something over the finish line, it's the first place that I go to to figure out, you know, is there an idea here that will make sense to plug in in this next phase? So that's helpful. Um, also, and finally, write things down. Mm -hmm. Don't keep them in, and I'm not talking about making a to-do list. I mean, I don't care if you've typed it in a document, 
or you're writing it down in a notebook, what best works for you. I like to sketch and write and then put it into a tool. Um, but getting things out of my head and into written format actually frees up space in my brain and it uses up less energy. So, mm -hmm. and it helps me focus. So Absolutely. by, right, because if I'm always worried about, you know, if I'm trying to build, for example, let's say I'm going to add a new opt-in to my website and there's lots of parts and pieces to that. And I'm at really phase one where I need to do some research around a topic idea for a PDF or for a video series. And my brain's worried about the landing page. Well, if I write it down and I write out, I have the process all written out and I know what it is when I have my ideas, I can write them, get them out of my head. Then I can let go of worrying about that and stay focused on what's right in front of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a big fan of, I keep my to-do list written as well as uh, other, th I, I basically totally relate to what you said about taking it out of your brain. If I, if I know for a fact, if I write it down, if it's on my to-do list, I know I don't have to think about it until the time I have to do it. Exactly. And, uh, and it's super helpful. Teresa, I have one last question for you, which is more focused on the day-to-day -day, being productive day in, day out, right? So let's say we cover, we, you know, we, ha we have our five-year vision, we break it down, we have our goals, we have our metrics, and then you wake up and you sit at your computer or laptop or whatever, and you're getting ready to work. What are two or three uh, pieces of advice you would give for, let's say, making the most of your nine to five even, or whatever, or whatever period of the day you're spending working? Great question. I know exactly what has to happen every day because I've done that higher level thinking and broke it down, right? So for me, it starts the night before. So I have different rituals that help me get started for, for a great next day. My great next day starts the night before. And that's where I do everything that I need in the evening to make sure that I am ready for the morning. And how I start my morning, usually I start with water. Um, I do um, some journaling and things like that. It gets me in the right frame of mind for the day. But then when I walk into my office, the first thing I do may not require my computer. So I know specifically because at the end of the workday, the day before, I review, I know what I got done, and then I look ahead and say, okay, what has to happen tomorrow? And I get everything ready the night before. So when I come into my office to start the day, everything's ready to go. There's no distractions. I don't have Facebook open if I don't need Facebook open. Only the tools, documents, writing utensils, whatever it is that I need to accomplish that first thing that I'm going to work on is ready and set for me to go. There's no resistance. There's nothing I have to do that's going to take me away from it because when I come in here, it's ready and waiting for me. And in the beginning, when I was having a hard time focusing because, you know, I, I am a creative, so Lots mm. of things can distract me. And especially if it wasn't something that I loved to do, right? And then we find, especially living in the house, then laundry looks really good or cleaning out a closet all of a sudden becomes a priority, right? And we're like, oh, no, I just have to do this. Setting a timer oh, yeah. and working in shorter spurts. I do, have, um, my, I do have block time set up 
And, you know, I'm very much a fly by the seat of your pants kind of girl. I like variety. So the tasks that I'm doing every day are exciting and they're different. And I don't always work on, um, I don't always work on the same thing every single Monday. So, so things change up for me, but again, it's working towards a bigger goal. So I would say set up the night before, you know, know what you want to do when you're ready to work. When you come in to wherever your space is, whether it's on, at your dining room table or it's an office in your house or an office out of your house, you want to make sure that when you go in there, you're in the mindset that you're ready to work, you know, have whatever it is that you need with you so that you don't have to get up and go get it like coffee, water, a snack, um, work in shorter spurts. So the Pomodoro method is really, really helpful for that. That's mm -hmm. a 25 minute working spurt with a five minute break. Um, and I usually stack those together. And after about three hours, if I do a three hour stack, then I'll take a longer break. Usually it's lunchtime for me around then. Um, and making sure that I'm moving around when I need to move around. And here's something else that's key. When you get tired, because the, all the thinking that you're doing is using up a lot of energy, um, even sitting at your desk, working on the computer can be exhausting. And don't try to force yourself when you find yourself doing things like rereading the same sentence on your computer over and over again, or you kind of blank out for a minute and you're sitting there with a pen in your hand and you're like, oh, wait, what happened? <laughs> it means it's time mm -hmm. to take a break. So take a break, go do something else that's not work. Like, you know, listen to a great song, go get a snack, go for a walk around the block real quick, whatever it is, you could jog in place, dance, whatever. And then, you know, re replenish yourself and then go back to work and focus on that one thing at a time that you said you're going to do. Got it. That was uh, a very good answer, Teresa, and super, super helpful, especially for most of us solopreneurs. Teresa, this has been really great hearing your story, getting all these productivity tips. Really appreciate you coming on the show once again. Can you tell everybody if they want to learn more about you or, or some of your content or learn more about your services, where can they find you? Absolutely. You can find me at teresasafali.com. I have a really great blog there where I blog about goal setting and planning, time management tips, outsourcing, organization, and mindset. There's some really actionable um, items within every blog post. And, you know, I think I also want to say, besides just um, places to find me, what I really want to leave the listeners with today is to start small. Just pick one tiny thing to change. And that one small thing, doing it consistently and regularly before you add in something new can really help you make so much progress as you move forward. You don't have to be different tomorrow. It just starts with one small step. That's a great piece of advice to leave us with, Teresa. Really appreciate it. All the links will be provided in the description of the podcast, no matter where you're listening to it on. Teresa, thanks again for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Josh. This was so much fun. Hey everyone, Josh here checking in just one last time. Wanted to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. And if you want to keep getting more of the Solopreneur Grind content, make sure to join the email list. What I do is send three emails a week with 
additional content such as what's going on in the background of my solopreneur journey, insights I'm having on business, and updates when new podcast episodes like these come out as well. It's free. It always will be. The link to join is in the description of whatever podcast platform you're listening this to on. Really hope to have you on the list and continuing to share these awesome solopreneur journeys and insights with you as well. Have a great day and hope to see you soon.